Somebody get a shot up at the buzzer. It's good. Brooks Hall. The place hits it at the buzzer. The Dayton Flyers. Pandemonium in the Dayton Decibel Dungeon. This is Talking Out Loud, the number one podcast on the internet for Dayton Flyers basketball. Always wearing red and being loud. Welcome back. This is Talking Out Loud with your boy Sully here on 1410 ESPN Radio and the podcast feed. The not-so-rapid reaction coming at you right now. Dayton, a winner by a lot. 44-point winner against Alcorn State. Uh, 42-point winner against Alcorn State. Uh, 88-46, to capping off the largest deficit or uh, winning margin, rather, not deficit, winning margin the Flyers have had since 2013, uh, beating Fordham at the arena by 45. Uh, welcome in. I'm your boy Sully, uh, doing it alone, uh, by my lonesome here in the first segment, and then Justin Kinner are going to join me in segments two and three this evening. Uh, we're going to be talking about the fan base, expectations, uh, all that stuff that is not the basketball doing on the court, because as you can imagine, there's only so much you can dissect a 42-point win against a 3-9 and Alcorn State team. The ultimate get-right game, that's why buy games exist, and frankly, uh, those athletic departments need big, fat checks to stay funded. Alcorn State got one last night for their services. We thank them, and 12,500, maybe 13,000 uh, fans in red-clad sweaters also thank them for their service. Um the tail of the game really was, uh, it was a breather for UD. It was a breather for fans. It was a game where everybody got to collectively take take that breath. Um, it's not an indication that Dayton's headed in the right direction. It's not an indication that Dayton has turned the corner from all of the poor offensive for- performances we've seen to this juncture. It was simply a horrible mismatch that UD exploited time and time again and did exactly what they needed to do, which was welcome in Alcorn State with a warm meal, make sure they're fed, make sure they got warm beds at the Marriott, and then you send them home with a pat on the head and a nice big check for their service. Um, The game was never close at any point, which was fantastic. Uh, As a fan, that's exactly what you wanted to see last night. You didn't want to be holding on to your butts um, coming down to the wire because it feels like we've had a lot of those recently. But this is frankly what buy games are for. It's for padding some wins, um, getting guys in the flow of the game, and getting right. Uh, and everybody knows that, that Dayton really needed to get right after the shellacking that they took in Blacksburg um, no less than two weeks ago against Virginia Tech. Since that time, uh, three lesser foes they have played, and they've beaten them all. And so one thing you cannot say about this Dayton team is that they don't know how to beat up on poor competition because they are damn good at that. 
uh, took the 23-point win against Asheville. They had a 17-point win in Chicago against Wyoming, and then the aforementioned 42-point spanking uh, against the Alcorn State Braves. Should probably be named the Acorns. I don't. I don't know why they would be named the Acorns. It just would look aesthetically pleasing. They're the Alcorn State Acorns. I'm just gonna say that. But uh, stat lines on the night, Deron Holmes was able to go 10 for 14 from two-point range, got to the line four times, uh, finished his evening with 23 points. Kamara chipped in 15 and 13 rebounds of his own. And that was the whole story of the night. You know, Alcorn State had nobody that could guard either of those guys. They were a lineup that was 6'7 or smaller. And anytime that Dayton plays a team like that, the results should never be in question. And honestly, they will have a couple of games like that in A-10 play. And and that's the number one thing I wanted to see tonight was, do the Flyers take advantage of what's given to them? And the answer was a resounding yes. Um, there's still many things to clean up about this team. I, I think they the areas which they need to work on are, are quite obvious. We talked about many times here in the show if you're a rabid listener, that their problems are great and they are many, but they start with the injuries and getting healthy. To my knowledge, Malachi Smith coming back soon, too soon-ish. Um, now, whether that soon is two weeks or four weeks or maybe six weeks, I think it's probably closer to that month time frame. but uh, I would not be surprised to see him in a uniform in the next two weeks here as conference play starts next Wednesday against Duquesne. Um, but... I was thinking back uh, after this game, um, and specifically for this first segment here, to think about how drastically the expectations have changed and how many other seasons we have gone into where the expectations were so distant from the reality just two months into the season. And I think you know what I mean by this. When we went into the year... The expectation was that Dayton was going to be a top 25 team. Um, and they were. They were 24 in the country right out of the gate. Uh, brought back everybody from, of course, a, a team that was right on the bubble. Whether you believe it or not, I don't. Neither here nor there, of course. But the chips were all in place for Dayton to have a special season. And then um, you know, Brea doesn't start the year playing. Malachi Smith does not start the year playing. Uh, they get everybody back but Brea by the Bahamas tournament. They score 42 points against Wisconsin, get run off the floor by NC State, and then blow a 20-point lead against BYU, and all of a sudden your season's derailed because Malachi and Kobe Elvis go down. Um, if you're sitting there thinking, well, you know, we'd be a lot better if we were healthy, well, I'm not really buying that either because Malachi Smith and the whole gang was on the floor minus Kobe Brea for the Wisconsin game, and they couldn't make a bucket to save their lives. Um, it goes back to the the old uh, talking point that we had that Grant's teams historically now just have struggled out of the gate. Uh, they've struggled to find their identity early on in, in seasons. Um, again, even if you remember 2020, they played Indiana State night one, and they struggled with them. The best team we've ever seen won a five-point game against Indiana State on night one. Now they still won, and we're in a binary business of one and zero. But the point remains that pretty much every team under Grant in his first six seasons here has sputtered a little bit out of the gate this year. Of course, no exception. And so I think about how different the expectations are now. We're eight and five for the third time in the last five years. 
the first year of Grant, they were six and six. And I think that team was uh, far worse than the one we're looking at right now. But three times in the last five years, we're eight and five coming out of the break here. Um, I, I didn't see that coming. And I think most people did not see that coming hand to God. I thought this was at worst going to be a 10 and three team, but the injuries must be accounted for. The setbacks must be accounted for. There's certainly not excuses. Every team deals with injuries. I don't think Dayton has been able to overcome them or shift their game plan quickly enough to overcome them, but they're going to have to here fairly soon. They got, again, eight days off before Duquesne comes to the arena next Wednesday night. Um, and that's going to be the whole the whole story of the season is how can they overcome these challenges and injuries to get back to a relevant stature? Because right now, they're, they're not relevant. Um, they're completely off the national radar. The win moved them up about 20 points in the net because for some reason, when you shellac opponents, you, you get a nice, healthy bump in the net. Um, so I believe Dayton's up to 88 at the time of this recording in the net. Uh, if you pay attention to Ken Palm, they're still at about 58. Started the year at 23 on his rankings, I believe, 24. So there's a lot of work to do. There's a lot of wins that they can accumulate in a bad A-10 to come up uh, in those rankings. But uh, I think back to the years we went into the season and the expectations were completely different from the reality and uh, going in another direction, 2020 was probably the last time that we had such differences in expectations in reality. Uh, if you remember that 2020 season, they were the ceiling of that team was probably like bubble seven seed. And then of course they turned out to be one of the greatest Dayton teams, if not the greatest Dayton team of all time, highest ranking the programs ever achieved. Um, but before that, I would have to go all the way back to 2010. Uh, if you remember, that team was coming off their first NCAA tournament win in 19 years. They brought back everybody except one senior forward, Charles Little. They had the entire um, starting lineup besides him. They had depth. They had guards. They had rebounding. They had shooting. And they sputtered down the stretch. They ended up going 8-8 uh, eight and eight in A-10 play. They lost to Xavier in the A-10 semifinals and ended up going to the NIT. A team that started 13-3, and uh, finished the year 20-12 and before exiting to the NIT. And so um, that's as far back as I can go remembering the expectations being as different from the reality that we've seen. But the expectations must be altered. And what we're seeing right now, I think you've heard me say it a couple of times, Dayton does not have any quad one games left on the schedule as of today. St. Louis could certainly play their way into that fold right now. But the reality is the path for Dayton getting in at large is bleak. It's slim and it involves a lot of winning to the tune of 14 and four or 15 and three. So certainly possible, especially given what we saw last year, but the Flyers will need to get healthy quickly because it has gotten late early. I'm your boy, Sully. Other side of the break, quick break. Uh, Justin Kenner from 1410 ESPN Radio going to join us for the back half of the program. Thanks for joining us. Flyers, 42-point winner against Alcorn State, 88-46. to This is Talking Out Loud with your boy, Sully, on the podcast feed and 1410 ESPN Radio. Indeed. Hey, 
and welcome back to Talking Out Loud with your boy Sully right here on 1410 ESPN Radio and the podcast feed. We're on the rapid reaction, not so rapid this time around. Flyers winners again against Alcorn State by a 44-point margin, a big one. Talked about in the first segment how there was their largest margin of victory in quite some time, almost 10 full years, but because of the opponent, the lackluster basketball that was played by said opponent, um, and kind of the lack of talking points uh, to discuss and cuss and discuss, as we often say on this show, <laughs> we wanted to keep things moving right along. And so I brought my good friend, confidant and colleague, Justin Kinner from 1410 ESPN Radio in the Justin Kinner Show to do the second segment with me today. Kinner, great to have you back on the program, man. No, absolutely. And, uh, you know, I just, you know, that that Alcorn State game, I'm only laughing because I'm like, you know, I think everyone, I think all Dayton fans needed that boring game. Everyone needed that game where the game's never in doubt uh, because, you know, it's just one of those where there's been such an up and down season that you just need those games where you're not worried about it, where it's not within 10 with like 10 minutes to go. And you're like, are we going to pull away eventually? This one was not even close. Um, and I, I think Flyer fans needed that, especially heading into uh, Christmas this weekend. So there you go. I completely agree. I said this on Twitter before the game started on Tuesday afternoon in that there, and this is where we're going to go with a second segment here is that the Christmas game is always really special around Dayton. Um, and, and it's, it's inherent to the community. And I think if, if you've been around the community, if you know the gem city to any degree, have family, you kind of know what I'm alluding to here is that Dayton pretty much always dating back as long as I can remember plays a game between the 20th and like the 23rd, I suppose, with the exception of the 2021 shortened COVID season. But I love the game and it's it's always a little bit special because if you're a college kid that goes to school elsewhere, if you have family in the area, you always find yourself in Dayton for Christmas. It just has that very local feel to it. It, it always feels like there's more people going to their first and only game for that year. Um, the students aren't there. So there's a couple extra tickets, obviously, in the 200 level there where the students normally are. But you know, there's something to be said for that, Kenner, because Dayton has a lot of tradition. Um, I think you know sometimes we hang our hat a little bit too much on the tradition of the program. But having that one game, like that constant before Christmas is always really cool. And it honestly is kind of um, a real shining example of the fan base as a whole, because to be honest, we rarely ever play someone that's like very good that week before Christmas. It's usually a buy game like you see against Alcorn State. I'm going back through Miami of Ohio is on this list. Furman. Um, one time we played Georgia Tech and uh, Brian Gregory. So that was actually kind of a marquee game a little bit because Gregory you know, came back. Um, Dayton's tried in the past to get good teams in that particular week, but more often than not, you're going to see that the Alcorn States of the world. And I don't know, that's where, that's where I wanted to start with you today is that there is just like that community feeling. And I think that this past, uh, evening, this game against Alcorn state is kind of what the program's all about, right? Like locals just coming out and enjoying a night of basketball, even if it's good or bad or flyers win by 40, lose by 20, right? Oh, yeah. I mean, especially everyone just kind of taking a break from their Christmas shopping. You want to stop in, just kind of catch up. I mean, people are out of town coming in, too. I know you talk about the students being off campus and everything. There's some, you know, extra tickets uh, kind of available. Uh, but this was just a good feel-good game regardless of the opponent. And it's the final non-con game. And 
it kind of, I don't know about you, but like for Flyer fans, that final non-con game, it comes to a close. You're like, man, that was not what we were hoping for, but you close the, you know, you close the book, you close you know, on that chapter, and then you kind of move on uh, to conference play coming up on the 28th. But um, like I said, the, the fact that there's nothing significant to talk about from the Alcorn State game with the way the season has gone, that's actually a good thing. The fact that's that there's nothing thing. to talk about, that's a, that's a great thing because Sully, if we're sitting here talking about, man, it was a eight point game with like four minutes to go, but they finally hit a couple threes to because there's been games like that where they've been within, you know, a couple possessions with about eight minutes to go. And then they kind of go on a big run over the final couple minutes and then they put it away and then you feel good about the score. That's not what this was. This was just a bludgeoning and that's what we need to see more of. And I'm sure Flyer fans uh, feel pretty good about that. Like we said, heading in to the holiday weekend. So Yeah, exactly. And this was kind of just uh, the ultimate get right game against a really bad team. Didn't match up well against Dayton. And, um, and the result was never in question. And I saw a lot of, um, people take to, to Twitter online, Facebook, whatever. And like, wow, you know, the boys are turning things around. It's like, well, that's, that's not what this game was about. It was just let them have it solely. Just yeah. let them have it. You could, you could burst their bubble next week. Just let them enjoy <laughs> this one. If Alcorn state is the Christmas present that we all needed, let them unwrap it and let them be happy with it. But uh, yes, I, I was, was laughing was. at that. And I laughed that you, uh, you were right there to burst that bubble very quickly, but uh, usually I'm that guy doing that. So good for you. I know. Well, you know, I don't I don't want to burst a bubble, but I I actually did say exactly that. I'm like, listen, we don't have to have takeaways from Alcorn State by 44. We don't have to make like large proclamations about the season turning around. We can literally just enjoy the win and turn the page, close the book on the non-con, which was terrible. And overall, you know, it just it was a disheartening first 13 games for a lot of reasons, injuries included in those reasons. Um, but we just, we didn't need to go down that path of like having takeaways from Alcorn state. Um, I think a lot of people wanted to feel that way after the Wyoming game. And then when you dig into the Wyoming metrics a little bit, you realize that without their best player, they're a pretty mediocre team as well. And so Unfortunately or fortunately, what you have here after 13 games is is dating again at eight and five for, like I said at the beginning of the show, third time in five years here. And they don't have a huge path to the at-large. But the one thing that I really wanted to get into, Kenner, and it, it kind of is akin to the, the first topic here about people showing up regardless of the result, is I got I got this question recently and it made me kind of think of yeah, what it means to be like a fan of the Dayton Flyers, right? And what the program owes its fans. And so I wanted you to weigh in on this because Dayton is very unique in that civic pride is tied to the team, right? When the team's doing well, um, there is a ton of civic pride to say things like us, you know, the city of Dayton got you on your back. And and Kyle Davis and Scoochie and, and Kendall, that team with Charles Cook, like, they really understood that the, the city kind of rides as the team rides, right? And so with that said, um, and I'll use a, an example that's near and dear to my heart. Here in Pittsburgh, we have a lot of civic pride tied to our sporting teams. And so when things don't go well, people take it as like a direct embarrassment to the city because we're being embarrassed on national TV on like, you know, a weekly basis as it's football or, you know, biweekly if it's hockey or whatever. And so people get very prickly about it because they're like, well, we don't want to get embarrassed as the city of Pittsburgh, right? But I use that comparison again because it's where I live. It's where I'm from. But in Dayton, there isn't that same sort of shame 
that is tied to the team's mediocrity when it comes to civic pride. And I think there's a lot of different reasons for that. But I, I did want to get your take because you you do talk to fans a lot on the radio and um, you, you have a better pulse than most as to like what fans are saying. But the other side of the coin is that we talk to diehards, right? If you're on the radio, you're calling into a radio show. If you're listening to Kenner's radio show, if you're listening to a podcast weekly, if you're on Twitter discussing with a thousand other people about Dayton, you're a diehard for better or worse. And you are always going to be here watching games. But the average person that goes to the arena just wants to have a night out, like you just saw against Alcorn State. If you pulled the arena before the game last night, I would be fascinated to understand how many, what percentage of fans knew Dayton's record going in. And so I guess that that's my first question for you, Kenner, is... Um, you know, do you have like thoughts about that? Like why maybe there's more hand waving in the Dayton community um, over such mediocrity? And, and I mean, I say that wholeheartedly, like eight and five, three out of the last five years is mediocre. That's what mediocrity looks like. And the ability of this fan base to hand wave that for an enjoyable night on the town is really impressive. But I've never really been able to put my finger on why we don't, as a fan base, kind of uh, higher, like keep the expectations high, right? And and involve that civic pride when it comes to mediocrity because we do it when we're winning, but when we're losing, it's like, well, support the boys, you know, go out and watch the team and uh, and shut your mouth. And and I guess I wanted to get your two cents on on your feeling and um, and why you think that is around here. Uh, first of all, I'm always fascinated by, like, look, I moved to Dayton in 2015. Uh, I have never once tried to, because my least favorite radio hosts in the world are the ones when they move to a city, they just dive into the, like, this may they sound pretend bad. like they're People, from there. Yeah. yeah, they pretend like they're from there. And, like, I feel like I would have done, even though everyone thinks I'm doing a disservice by not being a diehard UD fan, um, they just label me a hater. But I thought I would be doing more of a disservice if I pretended just to come in and, be, and wave the UD pom-pom. So yeah. I feel like what separates me from all the other media guys in town is that I am not going to just go rah-rah UD just because that's what everyone's doing around here. I'm just going to tell you what I'm viewing and what I what I see is and what I've learned about the program and the fan base is, for one, when they're winning – everyone is united, right? Like that's no matter what fan base you're talking about. But what I find most fascinating about UD and the fan base is when they lose, it's like how many people you really learn the perception that fans have on the program when UD loses. And what I mean by that is, is there are some like yourself, myself, and the diehards who understand the purpose of sports, which is to win, win at a high level, get to the end college basketball in general, get to the NCAA tournament, make deep runs. I thought we all agreed upon this after what we saw with the Archie Miller era. You know, you get to the elite eight, you want, you saw that you experienced it. We know we can do it. So we want more of that. Why would you not look at that and say, well, we need to do more of that? Maybe an Elite Eight isn't always the standard of what we have to hold the expectations to every year. But damn it, we at least need to get there. We at least need to be in the yeah. in the conversation at large bids, the way you schedule. So that's what's fascinating to me is that fans see it, they experience it, but yet they don't want more of it to the point to where they hold the program, the same program that tells you what their expectations are. You know, Neil Sullivan has come out multiple times. You bring it up constantly. The standard for UD basketball is to be in the NCAA tournament at large bids, to you know win the conference, to do all of these things. 
and they're just not doing it consistently enough. So with that, I thought common sense would kick in that fans would not be clamoring for the Big East and these other bigger conferences. You're not even dominating the A-10. So with that being said, it's like, I don't think, I, I hate that you're the bad guy all the time when you're pointing out that, hey, we got to dominate the A-10. Hey, we got to take care of these, like dominate these buy games. We shouldn't be losing buy games. We shouldn't be, you know, we need a win when we're out, you know, doing these invitationals, you know, when you're in Maui or wherever. Like that should be the expectation. We shouldn't be wetting our pants with excitement about it because, hey, that's what they're supposed to be doing. I'm just totally like amazed at the divide in the fan base as compartmentalization, when compartmentalization, my, I can't talk. When people compartmentalize (laughs) the losing or the not reaching expectations, it's, well, we're playing hard. Well, we got this great arena. Well, no one else has the arena we do. And I think UD hides behind that, Sully. Like a lot of times, I mean, over the last, what, since the uh, Archie Miller era, the biggest hype in town has been about the the renovations at the arena, the NCAA first four, the TBT coming to the arena, the OHSA state basketball championships for both boys and girls. And like those are things to feel great about and brag about. More NCAA tournament games have been played here at this arena than anywhere else. It's like I think that the the program almost hides behind that propaganda a little bit because when the team's not playing well, they push that in front of us. Hey, let's do the powder blue jerseys. Or I'm sorry, I got yelled at for that. The chapel blue jerseys. Okay? Chapel blue, which yeah. was cool, but that's been the highlight of the damn season. And that should have just yeah. been a cherry on top of what was a great non-con. I'm rambling a bit, but I'm fascinated by the question because I've always felt like there's just a weird divide among UD fans that I don't I don't see in other fan bases. And the other thing too is is oh, UD's fan base, their strength is their weakness. What I mean by that is they're going to show up to the arena no matter who the opponent is. You know, oh, I follow a a, yeah, I, I follow a program in Wright State that if they don't have if they don't have a like they had Davidson come in, they need the Davidsons of the world. They need, I mean, in, and by the way, by Dayton standards, the teams I'm about to bring up, you're going to laugh at, but they need the Bowling Greens and they need the Miami of Ohio's. They need those top max schools to come in and be a draw for them. And they yeah. need that draw team to get people there. UD, it does, Alcorn State, that arena was full last night. They, it's an yep. experience to go to UD basketball. So while that's something to brag about, it's also a problem because Neil Sullivan will never feel the pressure of getting better opponents to come to the arena. He'll never feel the pressure of of a lot of what other ADs and head coaches in college basketball do because fans are showing up no matter what. Imagine owning a restaurant and your food is is not that great. Guys are getting food. Guys and gals getting food poisoning. But hey, you're not going to change it up because hey, our food's not that great. But I'm looking around and every seat is full. There's an ass in every seat. Why do I need to change anything for? We have bad customer service. Who cares? People are still coming. UD's not bad customer service. There's no one getting food poisoning. The product's not horrible. It's just not to the expectation that you allude to all the time. And I think that's a fair criticism. I really do. Yeah, and and that's why I brought it up today. We're talking to Justin Kinner here on Talking Out Loud after Dayton beats Alcorn State Tuesday night. This is our rapid reaction episode. Um, That's exactly why I brought it up because you're right. There is no pressure on the athletic department to make quick changes. Historically, Dayton makes no quick changes, and I'm not here advocating for the the firing of, of Grant, but what I am doing is consistently pointing out that the program is consistently not good enough. And um, I don't know why that's okay for people. And you're absolutely right. There is no pressure on the athletic department to change because there's butts in seats every single night. And I saw even last night where a guy said, man, this atmosphere was amazing. I completely disagree. We're playing Alcorn State. I know what a good UD arena atmosphere was. and It wasn't last night. And the guy said something to the effect of, I will buy my tickets no matter what 
because of this building. And that's exactly what I was getting to is that the identity of the program right now of the entire identity. basketball. That's a, that, that's a good word. That's, that's the word I was trying to find a way to get to that word <laughs> in my little soliloquy. Identity yeah. is a perfect uh, term. Continue. <laughs> yeah. The, the identity of the program right now is the building and it's the fan base. The identity of the program isn't yep. the actual product on the floor. And it hasn't been for three years now. I had a conversation with someone, a good friend recently, who said, oh, yeah, well, we, we had the one bad year and, and then Duran came on uh, after Obi. N- no, there's been three seasons now. <laughs> three. And I think people like forget how far away we are from, from that. It's like we're now in the third season, you know, since, since the magical run. And um, we're just getting to the point where UD Arena and the fan base are the identity of the program. And, quick, and that's so great. I, I, that's I'm great. I'm going to jump in but, real yeah. quick just because, um, like, I, and, and by the way, with doing the show here in Dayton, and everyone knows my allegiance, not really allegiance, but I, I do cover Wright State. And, you know, I work real closely with their athletics department. So, I'm not meaning to bring them up. I'm not trying to force feed anyone Wright State, but I'm just bringing them up because here's what I run into a lot. If I post, man, Wright State looked really good against uh, Davidson, okay? What I get is, well, a lot of empty seats at the like your your fan base's obsession with attendance. And by the way, I'm not like trying to act like that's not a big deal. It is a big deal. It's, it's awesome something. that we get the people we do. Yes, yeah. it it's great. But what UD has is rare. Okay, when you look at the A10 and you look at the level of not level, but where who UD is as a program, at least as of right now, and just forget UD, the arena, everything. An A10 basketball program, what they have is rare anywhere what they have is rare even for the the middle pack of the big 10 okay like it's rare what they have so to look around and discredit what every other team around them does when they're not living up to their own expectations it drives me nuts i'm like no offense but like yes right state doesn't draw but a lot of mid uh, horizon league schools a lot of mid-major basketball schools don't draw but five thousand fans per game is still very solid for that level now i bring this up because Anything, anytime you want to discredit a smaller program around UD, all you got to do is, well, who are they playing in front of? No one's going to go to those games. It's always going to be a Dayton town. I'm like, I agree. No, right. State can go to the Elite Eight, get off the bus, come back, and everyone's going to be wearing red and blue, and it's still going to be Dayton colors, right? Yep. It's the reality of it. But the obsession with bragging about attendance, all, and my joke and counter back is, well, that just means that when your program doesn't live up to expectations, you're disappointing more people than Wright State does. So that's really what it comes yeah. down to. But the attendance thing drives me nuts because that is something to tip your cap to. But at the same time, stop hiding behind it because, the, you know, it should just be expectations should be met more. So sorry to interrupt, but that drives the attendance thing, man, like that, that, that people go to that constantly. That's rare and it's special and it's cool, but it's not everything. It's not everything, and I think that's why I I wanted to ask the question tonight about why there isn't more fervor when we're in seasons like this, when frankly the path is bleak. And um, we'll you know the segment's been rolling along well, so we'll we'll pick it up on the other side of the break. Uh, you're listening to Talking Out Loud with Sully and Kenner right here on 1410 ESPN Radio and the podcast feed. Be right back. Sick of being upsold at gyms? My guy, you're currently a base member. For $90 more, I can upgrade you to our Shred membership. For $130 more, you'll be a swole member. And for just $300 more, you'll reach Sweat Platinum. At Planet Fitness, you'll get energy without the upsell. Never pushy, always free fitness training and equipment for every workout. It's fitness that fits your budget. 
Join Planet Fitness for just $1 down and $10 a month. Cancel anytime. Deal ends Friday, May 10th. See Home Club for details. Welcome back in. This is Still Talking Out Loud. Right here, Rapid Reaction. Dayton, 44-point winner over Alcorn State. It's Sully and Justin Kinner right here on 1410 ESPN Radio. Um, before we went to the break, having a, you know a discussion about the fan base as a whole, um, you know how passionate they are. We, we hear that that word a lot. Oh, man, the fans are so passionate. Um, I wanted to open up the, the last segment of the show, and thanks for sticking around with us t- until the last segment of the show here this evening. Um, is the the question of what fans are owed? So we talked about in the last segment how the identity of the program now is the building and the fan base. Uh, you can't tell me otherwise because it's certainly not the winning basketball on the court. Um, it's not NCAA tournament appearances. It's not graduating four-year athletes. Just saw two more guys hit the portal that we talked about in the first segment. Um, the identity of the program is insular, um, and you can see that throughout the athletic department. Um, Dayton loves taking care of their own. They love having the identity in-house. They love hiring from within. Um, that's why you, know, you have a former player that just got hired as a football coach. You have the women's basketball coach who's a local playing legend. The men's basketball coach is obviously an alum. It, the list goes on and on. Um, Dayton loves hiring their own people. And in basketball specifically, it just gets me to wondering what the culture is now going forward. Um, because it's it's Anthony Grant, you know, to a certain extent. And we caught a lot of heat. Um, you know, from the university and people close to the program about how critical we are of the coach. But frankly, um, you know, he's not setting the goals that are um, put forth by the athletic department, which is, like you said, competing for conference championships and going to the NCAA tournament year in, year out. We've been to the NCAA tournament once since 2017, asterisk next to that, of course, 2020. But I'll be as fair as I can. Dayton hasn't won an NCAA tournament game since 2015. And if you take out the Elite Eight run of 2014, Dayton's won three NCAA tournament games since the year I was born in 1990. Now, I know that you can't slice and dice and and pick things like that, but outside of one singular season, Dayton has won three NCAA tournament games in 32 years. That's just not consistent winning. It's as as factual as it gets. I'm not poking holes in resumes. you know, Dayton just doesn't have a consistently uh, or a consistent winner on the floor. And so the question for the third segment here, Kenner, is what are the fans owed? And when I say that, I'll explain it a little bit more since we have some time here tonight, is the fans pay for tickets, right? Um, and they're owed a game day experience for sure in my mind. But there's a large portion of the fan base that, like we talked about when you first came on, is more than happy to just pay their tickets, have a good game day experience, win or lose. Ah, Me and the family had a great time. And they don't necessarily believe that Dayton owes them a winner. And so I have my thoughts about it. But before I unload the clip, as I often do, um, what do you think the Dayton basketball program owes their fans and why? They owe the fans, and I think me and you will be on different sides here. They owe the fans what they will accept. And it's a good point. Yeah. I, I've always used this metaphor and I used it earlier in the show, but if I own a restaurant and you know the the hostess and the servers and the waitresses and the waiters and, and the and the chef and the and the if it's a from the time you and your family arrive 
and they're rude to you and, and you know the service is bad and the food is not good um and you know the employees are late and you know what i mean like everything's bad but every time the owner walks into the restaurant the seats are full well you know what i mean we must be doing something right hey we really need to improve our quality of food well I'm not going to do that until we start losing money and until we start, uh, you know, until people stop coming to our restaurant. Now, there's not a fair comparison because the service is not bad. The product is not horrible. It's just we're talking about expectations, I guess, here. But I think that what the fans are owed is what they will accept. Um, And, you know, if we're just going to let's break it down to just the the non-conference home games. And and look, Neil Sullivan, I'm not saying scheduling is easy. I do think sometimes people make it more difficult than what it needs to be. But at the same time, I do respect the approach approach from Neil Sullivan and company when they build the non-con with the mindset of we got to do this uh, with the formula of getting us an at-large bid. If that's the situation, then I can respect that. You're not going to hear a peep out of me as far as what teams come into the arena. And then the buy games, if you're showing up for Alcorn State, they're going to bring more Alcorn State in. They're not, you know what I mean? Like if, if yeah. they continue, if Anthony Grant, conti- if they continue to not win the A-10, they continue to not get to the NCAA tournament. They continue to get great recruits and, and keep enhancing the arena. And that's what get and that's what gets people excited. Then Sully, that's what they're going to continue to get. The problem is, is there's not, you're the minority of the fan base. That's, that's, I guess the problem, if there is a problem, the problem is, is there's not more people like you that are demanding, Hey, Neil Sullivan, you said, the expectation is to be an at-large team. You said that we have to be winning this conference and we have to be getting to the NCAA tournament. If there's not, if there's not more Sully's calling out that the expectation, then there's gonna who we there's nothing to hold anyone accountable to. So when, with what a program owes a fan base, a program owes a fan base what they will accept. For instance, Kentucky basketball. I mean, you would think that they would they would expect a national championships. Well, they seem pretty content with winning a lot of games in the regular season and Calipari standing up on NBA draft night, congratulating the five or six guys he sends every single season. When that tide's starting to turn. You know, yeah. It took a while, but it's starting it to turn. You know? So it's like you are what your fan base accepts. It's not what your AD accepts. You know, Is Anthony Grant doing a good job by Neil Sullivan's standards? Well, yes, because – there, there's no his seat's not hot his seat's not warm Sole may be trying to warm up the seat right in the eyes of everyone that thinks you're trying to get him out of there but again i don't i've never once heard you say he needs to be gone you're just saying no. hey what the hell uh without we can't brag about all the talent coming in if it's not leading to more i will defend the fan base from this perspective on this season okay real quick yeah injuries are an excuse and I don't like excuses, but I think the reality is, is that you can really chalk up a lot of the deficiencies with this year's team to the fact that the team that garnered the expectations really hasn't been out on the floor. So people, but people aren't even arguing that with you. They're not even bringing that to the table. They're just saying, you're just a hater. You're just a hater, but like they're bringing no quality um, conversation points to the table. But to, to sum up, I think what the fan base or what the program owes the fan base is what the fan base will accept. And they are accepting all of the things that you disagree with about the program. And there's just not, there's less, there's not as many solis as there are those who accept everything that's happening. So that's just kind of where we're at right now. Well, and that's why I asked the question is because, um, you know, point I made earlier, if you polled everybody at the arena last night as to what are Dayton's at large chances. And let me tell you factually, the at-large chances right now for Dayton are hovering between 10%, I would have to say. Let's get away from the, the percentage. Yep. But I would like to poll arena people that walked in the arena as to what is Dayton's record, first and foremost. Um, do they know what a quad system is? 
<laughs> okay, you can see where I'm going with this. Mm-hmm. And and what are their chances to to get an at large bid from here on out? Um, obviously, we know Dayton's eight and five. They have no wins in the quad one, two, or three. Only quad four wins. And they don't really have a realistic path to the at large right now outside of maybe a 15 and three, 16 and two, a 10, which I suppose is not out of reach because of how bad the a 10 has been to date. Um, and the aforementioned injuries, they haven't had the, um, the team that they were supposed to on the floor. So sure. But I would love to poll people because they do treat a night out at Dayton like just an enjoyable experience. And it's not like a win or lose life or death. And, um, I think if you would ask me like five years ago, I think my reaction to each game was probably a lot different than it is now. I think now I probably have just getting older and wiser. Uh, I have a little more pragmatism of how I look at losses and, and how I view the wins in the larger context. But most fans that are going to the arena don't have that larger context because they don't care. Right. And so your point is extremely valid. It's what is this sandwich worth? Well, it's worth what someone will pay you for it. And this is the exact same scenario is that the fans are owed what they'll accept. And if you're a fan that will accept not getting the NCAA tournament consistently, having 13,000 fans at the arena for Alcorn State, not really caring. Well, guess what? That's what you're going to continue to get. And fans take this approach of, well, you know, my opinion is not going to change anything. And you're right. Your opinion isn't going to change anything at all. My opinion doesn't move the needle. Okay. And, and we, you know, I've had the podcast for like five years now, but collective, the collective voice, just like in, you know, protesting or, you know, politically or whatever, when you get more voices and more people who care about one thing talking about, Hey, we need some change. Typically, that is what the kindling on the fire of change, right? And we're again, I want to go back because people, you know, they tend to do this. I'm not saying the program needs widespread change, I'm merely outlining the fact that for whatever reason, there is a large part of our fan base that simply gets enjoyment from going to the games and really could not care less about the results. You know, oh, we're going to Maui in a couple of years, man. That's awesome, man. We had such a good time at the Bahamas. Well, we lost three games, but we had a really good time at the Bahamas, man. Oh, but we're going to Maui in a couple of years, man. It's going to be fun. But if the team's not any good, that definitely takes some of the fun out for me. I don't like losing. Losing sucks. You know, I would rather the team be winning. And that's where I get enjoyment out of is the team winning, right? 2014 was awesome because people started to hear about Dayton, right? Mm-hmm. Um, people that you you probably had never talked about with the Flyers before. You know, alumni were coming out of the woodwork that never watched basketball before. And that's what we're talking about is when you're winning, you get all those casual fans back and they start to care again. Because coming full circle, we talked about how these thousand fans on the radio or on the... Uh, message boards or on Twitter, these fans are going to be here watching the team night in, night out, pretty much regardless of what happens. And if they're not kicking up a fuss about losing, who's going to do it? So so then where do you go from there? It's just, okay, well, we'll keep losing. We'll keep taking on the chin and uh, you know, live to fight another day. It's just, I, I struggle to understand, again, 
why the civic pride of the Dayton Flyers doesn't extend to winning at all costs or not even winning at all costs, but just putting a consistent winner on the floor because we don't have it, but we still have this huge portion of the fan base that simply doesn't care. And I, I'm not saying that I live and die by the program. Um, you know, I probably have a little bit more stake than most people because the success of the show is directly correlated with the success on the basketball court. But me as a person, yeah, my life's going to go on if the Flyers aren't, you know, pulling off a winning streak or getting to the NCAA tournament. I'm just trying to get to the root of why there is so much hand waving around here and excuses made when expectations aren't met. And, um, and, and you know, I just I haven't even been able to put my finger on it, man. It, it's one of those questions that, um, that that kind of just goes round and round. And so that's why I asked the question of what are the fans owed? Because from my perspective as an alumni, it's probably a little bit different, right? I paid the university for an education that I'm still paying for. A lot of people listening to the show are still paying student loans, right? Uh, I pay for season tickets. I donate every year. And the basketball program is the vehicle for Dayton to be the most visible on the national stage, period. It is the quickest vehicle to Dayton getting millions of dollars of marketing revenue, period. Okay. And you can talk about all the other sports you want women's basketball, men's soccer, women's soccer, but volleyball, blah, 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 blah. Men's basketball is the quickest vehicle to being a revenue generator for the university. Is a quickest vehicle to getting the most eyes on Dayton possible. Period. Okay. So, from my perspective as an alumni, I'm going to hold the program accountable for the standards that they set out because it is that vehicle to make my university more well known, to make it more attractive, to make it seem like it's this great place, great culture. And unfortunately, right now, all we have is the fans in the building without the winning. And so, to me, the university does owe alumni a winning basketball product because that's what they've promised. <laughs> you know, if if the university did not set expectations whatsoever, Kidder, and they were like, you know, just roll out the ball and, you know, we, we have some fun here in this basketball program, but, you know, yeah, win some, lose some, like Northwestern football. Yeah, win some, lose some, but we graduate our boys, you know. Um, I would probably feel different, but I don't because they've set the expectations. They're not being met. And, and I get to say as alumni, hey, why aren't we meeting the expectations we set out as a program? So that, again, that was why I asked you the question, right? Like, what, yeah, do, and, what are the fans owed? And that's what's just and that's what's fascinating. And and again, at the end of the day, what UD has is so rare. It is so special. It is so impressive. Um, and like and, and I, I think there's not an identity crisis, but like I think that UD fans don't even understand that what they have is rare. Like. And that's a good thing, by the way. No, I, you know what I'm saying? Like, I, well, I don't didn't think 2020 open people's eyes. Like, this is what is possible. We could be a one seed, like more well, years than not, if we. So, you yeah. know, it's like this is possible. I understand it's it's lofty, and I understand we just went through like you know one of the greatest seasons in Dayton history. But here is what's possible if we're we're on Sports Center every night. And well, yeah. I got uh, ripped that year because I said that. You know, and by the way, because I'm Mr. Negative, I said actually this 2020 season is honestly probably the worst thing that could have happened for the program, and I'll never forget when I <laughs> got destroyed bit. for that. And I said, hold on. Now I didn't know what was about to transpire, but I said, I go. The problem is, is that season will always be the benchmark for what we hold the teams, um, you know, what we deem successful or not moving forward. And the problem is, is where where UD went in 2020, it wasn't expected. Um, we didn't think that. I mean, you know what I mean? We do. We expected a lot of you know high of that team, but we didn't expect number three in the country. 
a potential one seed, a potential national championship contender. I mean, my goodness. And by the way, just for all the Dayton listeners, Sully's not even demanding them to be a national title contender. I mean, my no. God, like it's no. not like you're being unrealistic. <laughs> but that season really did rock the foundation of the program because I said I go as much as it made the program um, from a national standpoint, or at least you know brought a lot of eyes back to it. It's really going to be hard to judge what is a good team moving forward because. You know, everything is just going to be based on that season. And sure enough, like I think it's created an identity crisis as far as who they are. You know, they want to be what the expectations for this team was supposed to be. An at-large team, make some noise uh, in the tournament, hopefully make a deep tournament run and all that. But that's obviously not going to happen now due to injuries. But yeah, that 2020 season, as great as it was, I'm like, man, sometimes I think that could have been a bad thing just because it did rock the foundation of the identity of what this uh, program is. So we'll see what happens. But Sure. And I said to one guy who was like, we were having an Anthony Grant debate because people have had to pick their sides, right? Which I just, I find so silly. It's it's honestly turned into like a political debate where you have to be one side or the other, which just sickens me because I just, I can't stand that discourse and I can't stand the, you're either you know, a pro AG guy or you hate him. And it's like, that's the furthest thing from the truth. I want my basketball team to win. And if I don't think that they're headed in that direction, I, I will say so, right? Um, that's fair, but yeah, I, I said to this guy, he said something like, you know, there's a bunch of you knuckleheads that'll never give AG credit for 2020. And I said, and I think I mentioned this on the show, 2020 is the only reason we're having polite discourse about Anthony Grant. If that season had not happened, I would be on the, we need to get a new coach and start over, you know, like there would be absolutely zero doubt in my mind that it would be time to start over. But in in the ultimate fairness, there's still a large portion of the fan base that said, well, the best season of Dayton basketball ever, Anthony Grant was the coach. And so there's a chance that he could do it again. And you know what? That is a God's honest, fair sentiment that I completely understand. I get why people feel that way. I truly do. I don't personally feel that way, but I get why fans are tying or, you know, they're hitching uh, that wagon is, is saying, what if he could do it again? Maybe he could. I don't think that he could, but maybe he could. And so far be it for me to say that that is a wholly unfair sentiment because it's not. Um, so I know we're running along, Kenner, and I appreciate the time, man. Uh, before I let you go, I got some trivia for you because, you know, I'm a big trivia guy. All right. Oh, no. Oh, no. Yeah. I'm going to wrap up some trivia here. We're uh, talking out loud. This is uh, Sully and Kenner here. And thanks for joining us all the way to the end. Um, I put this on my Twitter, so maybe you saw it and maybe you can cheat a little bit. But last night, 44-point win for the Flyers against Alcorn State. In the last 50 years, how many games have Dayton won by 40 or more points? I I did not see this on your Twitter, so I'm not going to look it up. You said how many times since when? 50 years. Going all the way back to 1972. Um, so I thought I had read that was last night the highest like uh, point differential in a win for UD. Is that correct? Since 2013. There's your hint. 2013. Okay. Uh, I'm going to just throw out – I'll throw out because there was a – I'm going to say three. I'm just throwing out three. You actually went low, man. There's eight games uh, eight. that Dayton won by 40 or more points. Yeah, eight games. Uh, the last game was uh, 2013, uh, January. They played Fordham. They won by 45. Previously to that, 2008, Bethune-Cookman. 2002 at Duquesne, 2001 against Moorhead State, uh, 97 and 93. They beat Prairie View and Central Connecticut State, respectively, 
by 58 points apiece. Uh, Illinois State in 1990, then rounding it out December of 1972, beating Auburn by 43. Does that surprise you? Yeah, eight games. Uh, Yeah, just because, again, especially with the scheduling, you know, you have a lot of these bye games. You would expect more of those pummelings. But, uh, yeah, yeah, eight, that's, I guess, you know, solid. Yeah, yeah, it is. Running Longs, we're going to get you out of here. Thanks for uh, joining us all the way to the end of the hour for Justin Kinner. I am Sully. We greatly appreciate your patronage's program as we wrap up the non-con and get into the conference slate. Dayton's got a full eight days off before they take the court at home against the Duquesne Dukes on Wednesday night, December 28th. That's a 7 o'clock tip from UD Arena where there are always butts and seats. Wear red, be loud. Catch us next time on the podcast feed or 1410 ESPN Radio. This is Talking Out Loud. Making a living the old hard way. Taking and giving my day by day. I did snow and rain and a bright sunshine. Taking the on everything for your next project at Menards. Spring is here making it the perfect time for outdoor projects. Suncast storage sheds are an excellent solution for protecting outdoor lawn and gardening tools. They're easy to assemble and the all-weather construction provides water resistance and UV protection. Say big on Suncast storage sheds. View our selection of Suncast products today in store and on Menards.com. Save big.